Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Does your tight schedule prevent you from sitting down with your Bible? Do you sometimes find the Bible confusing? Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. You can listen anytime, anywhere, on your commute, at the gym, or while doing housework. Learn more at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. There is very little in the New Testament about Jesus' childhood. We know a great deal about his birth. And the circumstances shortly after his birth, the time frame there is a little difficult, the visit of the wise men, which the church celebrates on this January the 6th, the epiphany of our Lord. And then there's this account of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the temple having, well, he didn't lose track of his parents, they lost track of him. Why is that story told Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to study this hymn within the Father's house that not only tells the story, but tells us what's going on there with Jesus, a mere boy, and his parents who are put out because, well, they didn't know where to find him. He seems kind of naive. You should have known where to find me. Pastor Will Whedon will be our guest. A little listener email on the Issues Etc. comment line. Then Dr. John Bombaro joins us to talk about hearing the voice of Christ. Not your own voice when you listen to Christian preaching, but the voice of Christ. Joining us to study the hymn within the Father's house, Pastor Will Whedon. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he's host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. A joy to be with you. Let's talk about the fact that, and many people have noticed this, the account of Jesus' life is not to sparse on details regarding his childhood. It's, it's practically non-existent. This being, this gospel reading that we'll talk about in a minute, being the only account of Jesus' childhood other than his birth. Right. I mean, we do have the, the trip into Egypt and all that, and that's hard to date exactly when he, how old he would have been there. But we assume, you know, it was two or three years maybe. And we don't know how long he was there. But certainly this is the the only account. And, and it's mirrored in like the creeds, right? The creeds affirm born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they affirm, and he was crucified, died, and was buried. And you're like, well, wait a minute, there was a life in there. And about that life in the meantime, the only thing scriptures give you up to the baptism is this particular account. So why do we not have it? Well, the easiest and most truthful answer is the Holy Spirit didn't think we needed to have it. He gave us in the accounts what we did need to have. I do think we need to recognize that the, the gospels are a particular genre. They are not a biography of Jesus. 
to think of them that way is to misuse them. They are a preaching of the good news of Christ, and they have a form then that is different from like you know just satisfying curiosity about well what what did he do when he was eighteen? What happened when he was twenty five? You know, none of that is of interest to them because they want to get to this one who is truly God and truly born into our human flesh grows up to accept the mission from his father that he will offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. The gospels essentially, all of them, are passion stories with brief introductions. That's really what they all amount to. What do we know of the author of this particular hymn? Well, the author is uh, James Russell Woodford, born in 1820 and died in 1885. He is actually a very famous Anglican clergyman. Uh, He served as Bishop of the See of Eli, and he was the honorary chaplain to Queen Victoria. And in his early years of ministry, he actually served in the very poor coal country around Bristol. And we have a stanza in this hymn that's actually not in our hymnal that refers to our darkened sight, you know, evoking the sooty mess that fouled sky and land all around Bristol in his his days. But uh, it is specifically a, a hymn that he writes to reflect on the gospel reading in the traditional series for the first Sunday after the Epiphany. Let's talk about that gospel reading that stands at the heart of this. It is a poignant story. It is, in some ways, very mysterious story about Jesus, at least from his perspective, being in his father's house when everyone had expected for him to return to his parents' house. Yeah, there, there is, there is so much on it that that that's that's beautiful. I really want to. Uh, spend some time working our way through it, if that's okay, before we actually listen to the hymn, because I think it opens up the hymn. So if if we work our way through what we find there in, in verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So it's worth noting that after the infancy narratives and that trip to Egypt, I mean, this is it, like you said, this is this is what we get of what happened to Jesus when he was a young man. And note that his parents went up according to custom. You're going to meet that again in Luke 4 with Jesus' practice of attending synagogue each week. That means he's brought up in a pious, practicing Jewish family. All the major feasts would be observed by trips to Jerusalem, and this would be uh, fit into the weekly hearing of the word of God in the synagogue. Verse 43, and when the feast was ended, As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. All right, Todd, do you need proof that Jesus was a true boy? Well, look at how this teen behaves, not saying a word to Joseph and Mary and just heading off. You can imagine them traveling along and the kind of growing unease as they wonder, where's he gotten himself off to? Until it finally dawns on them, and it has to be sheer terror, he's not here. He got left behind. So then you can see them flying back to Jerusalem, and you can only imagine the terror in their hearts. I mean, any parent missing a child is going to experience something of this, but especially this child on whom the very salvation of the whole world was hanging. I think you cannot factor that out of their terror. They'd been entrusted with caring for God's own son, and well, they lost him. So verse 46, 
After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So notice the three days, right? That kind of makes this a little triduum of its own for Joseph and Mary, an anticipation of that time to come when for three days Jesus would be lost to us in death. Notice that he's to be found where the word of God is being read, studied, discussed, pondered, loved, and treasured. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he was the one asking the questions, but please note that he clearly was asking them as a teacher himself. He knew the answer before he asked, but he asked them to lead them into greater awe. And as they heard his take on these questions that he laid before them, they were just being blown away by how deep and understanding he evidenced. I think you can get a feel for this later in the gospel when you hear him throw things out like, well, how can the Christ be David's son? I mean, David himself calls him Lord in in Psalm 110, verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So don't breeze by this. His parents are astonished. And Mary, (laughs) put yourself in her place for a minute. She's probably relieved beyond words and she's probably itching to turn him over her knee and give him a what's for. But like a good parent, she doesn't presume, she asks. And in her asking, she makes a fatal mistake that he will not slip by without correction. Why have you treated us so? Lo, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. Your father and I? Um, No, Joseph is not his father. And he makes that clear by what comes next. Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Again, true teenager, right? Genuine human being. Why were you looking for me? What do you think? But I think you need to be careful not to hear in that, you know, the sinful rebellion of some kid saying, well, why are you looking for me? I'm grown. I can look after myself. Thank you very much. No, 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 no. His amazement is that they looked for him anywhere else. It's like, why did you spend three days hunting around Jerusalem? I mean, seriously, where did you think I would be? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? There it is. He stresses that the place to look for him, since he is the son of God, as the angel told them both before he was born, is to look for him in his father's house. And he always treats the temple that way. And that's how he gets himself into a whole heap of trouble. When he cleanses the temple, I mean, he's thinking out of his, it's his, it's it's my father's house. And he treats it as something he can then act Well, it is truly his very own, and he makes that clear by everything he does. Verse 50, they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. That's a hard one. I mean, Mary and Joseph sometimes probably just forgot that their sweet little boy was much more than just theirs. Parents tend to forget that in the best of times, but I imagine it was more heart-wrenching for them since they were both in no doubt about this obedient and loving child who delighted to honor them in obedience to the fourth commandment being someone special. So this this startling reminder of who his true father is 
and where he could be found. It just didn't compute at first, I think, because they thought of themselves, Joseph above all thought of himself as his father. I can see them looking around and wondering, what are you talking about? It might have dawned on them later as they thought about it, which I think is hinted at next, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus can experience real growth, not just in height, but in understanding and in favor with God and man. He's growing step by step into the man that you meet in the rest of the gospels, the one who is so radically devoted to his father's will that he's going to let nothing divert him from fulfilling it. But when you're looking at the 12-year-old with this tousled hair and dirty face, it might be hard to remember now you know, that that's who he really is. But I mean, that's the point of the, the entire pericope is like, don't forget who he really is and who his father really is. There's something in this that I think is reflected at points later in the Gospels, a kind of divine naivete on the part of Jesus' part. Uh, because he is sinless, he does not think sinfully. He does not think in rebellion to his parents. He cannot think this way. He thinks, even as a full human being, while he knows the heart of man, he does not have that heart himself. And this kind of, why were you looking for me? Or when he marvels at their unbelief of his disciples and things like that. There is a sense in which Jesus doesn't get us. Yes. Because while he sympathizes and is tempted like us in every way, there is no sin in the mix whatsoever. And I think that's somewhat reflected here that I was just doing what Jesus does. I was just and, doing that and, Jesus thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and how could you not know this? It's so clear to him and so unclear to them. Yes, uh, I mean, I, I can't agree with you more on that. I think you, uh, another instance of that that you see in the Gospels is like, when it comes to the matter of divorce, I mean, Almost any of us just sort of setting down and looking at it, we go, well, I mean, come on. There are some situations where that just really seems to be make a lot of sense, right? You know, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it because he doesn't get giving up on relationships, right? To him, that's just absolutely not on the table. And so that is what makes his approach to divorce be the way that it is. I mean, he's like, why would you give up on somebody? Don't do that. God doesn't give up on you. Don't, don't do that. And, and so I think he has a different mindset from us that's actually, it's beautiful. It's the thing you meet throughout the gospel readings that makes them be so intriguing. One other thing, and that is, he's here with the teachers of the law, but he is the lawgiver. And we can't pass that irony there. Yeah. That here is this 13, 12-year-old boy. He's not even yet become a son of the law in terms of Jewish rabbinic tradition. That's another year off for him. But he's the giver of the law among the teachers of the law. Yeah, I mean, when you're the writer of the test, you know, that's kind of the situation you have here where he, he, he and, and it's not just that he gave the law, it's that he also fully and completely internalizes the law. His, his heart beats in conformity with the law of God. It, I mean, he, he, he himself is the law giver and the law is written on his heart in blazing, powerful love. And so he has the ability to open it up and explain it in ways that they just didn't have the first clue about. 
One thing I forgot to say that we should have thrown in there too is it's huge that he's obedient to his parents. This, you know, what was Jesus doing in all those years? He was obeying his mom and dad. He was keeping the fourth commandment for us because that, again, written on his heart. He was going to love in that very specific way that the Ten Commandments laid out. We're studying the hymn Within the Father's House with Pastor Will Whedon. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. You can purchase these resources by calling Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Stands a one when we come back. Within the Father's house, the Son has found his home, and to his temple suddenly the Lord of life has come. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with healing of the Gerasen demoniac, what God has done for you, healing of the woman with the issue of blood, raising of Jairus' daughter, and Jesus sends the twelve. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. The Faith, Once for All, Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Are you looking for a confessional Lutheran church in southern Alberta, Canada? Look no further than Resurrection Lutheran Church of Lethbridge. We rebuke false doctrine and call sinners to repentance. We proclaim the gospel to all and provide Christ's sacramental medicine to those who believe what the Holy Spirit has clearly and inerrantly taught in Holy Scripture. We practice these things in the context of closed communion and with the use of the historic lectionary, hymnal, and liturgy. Check us out at resurrectionlutheran.ca or like us on Facebook or call 403-915-4336. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. The first stanza of the hymn, Within the Father's House, we're studying it with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, what would you say of this first stanza? Well, notice the the, the distinction between house and home, right? I can enter a house and it's not really my home. 
But when you enter into the house that is your home, you act in a different way toward it, don't you? I mean, it's the place where where you belong. Well, clearly the Father's house here is the temple. And Jesus doesn't just enter into it. He makes himself at home there. Todd, do your grown children still do this to you when they come to your house? Yeah, mine too. They become Uh, little kids again. They become little kids again. They treat our home as their own. I hope that my kids always will. Even when it irritates me that because they're at home, they don't pick up after themselves, etc. Jesus is at home in the temple. He, after all, is the singer of the Psalms. So Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So he wants to be home. He wants to be in his father's house. He faints for it. He aches for it. Later in the same Psalm, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So I was like, you're looking for me? But did you forget who I am? I'm the guy who prayed that. There's no other place I'd want to be. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates of Jerusalem. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 27. One thing I asked of the Lord, that's what I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And one last one. Well, no, maybe two more. Think of Psalm 26. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Or Psalm 15. Lord, who's going to sojourn? Who's going to you know, hang out in your tent? Who will dwell on your holy hill? So, I mean, you get the idea. Jesus is like, where else would you be looking for me? So notice the last couplet. And to his temple, suddenly the Lord of life has come. So it's not just that Jesus is the Father's Son, but as the Father's Son, he is God in the flesh. So that last couplet is a reflection of Malachi 3.1. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And this was sudden in the sense that he's right there in it. And they didn't even recognize that he was there. And so the suddenly has a bit of stealth about it. He comes to his temple, but no one seems to notice. Is there also in that term, Lord of life, a reflection of Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life in one of Peter's early sermons? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he is clearly the source of eternal life for the world. John made that clear at the beginning of his gospel, right? In him was life, that life was the light of men. So the Lord of life is the one who comes to give life by giving life his life up for us. In stanza two, the doctors of the law gaze on the wondrous child and marvel at his gracious words of wisdom undefiled. The doctors of the law gaze on the wondrous child and marvel at his gracious words of wisdom So this is a little more than just narrating the story for us here. It's explicating Mm -hmm. what's going on here. How is that? Yeah, I I mean, this 
this is what you were pointing at before. This whole thing is dripping with irony. I mean, there they are, their intent to teach the law of God. And this wonder whiz kid is hanging around and his questions that he puts to them. I mean, they haven't the foggiest idea how to answer what he's asking. So then he goes on and explains to them this law that they've devoted their entire lives to teaching and understanding. He explains it from the inside. He helps them get what the Lord is after in the law. And as we said, he has the supremely unfair advantage of not having to surmise any of this. He knows what the intention of the Lord is because he is that Lord. And as they listen, they marvel at his gracious words. Did you notice that? He's actually borrowed that language from Luke 4, where a similar instance is recorded. Jesus amazing preaching in the synagogue in his hometown. And the people marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth marveled at his insights into the great wisdom of God. You, of course, are in the know. He is the wisdom of God through whom all things were made. His insights are never off because of who he is, but as with the doctors of the law and with the people of his hometown, well, you know, it can can be, Todd, how do I put this? It can be a bit much to be with someone who never gets it wrong, someone who is 100% right. In Nazareth, they end up being offended by him, even after marveling at his gracious words. You can't help but wonder if something similar was happening there in the temple with the teachers, that they marveled at him, but they were also getting annoyed with him. Does that, I guess, kind of coming back to this, is this kind of a little pristine picture of these doctors of the law are marveling at him, whereas not these same men, obviously, but their successors will be his chief opponents, will be the ones who, because they cannot respond to his great wisdom, will call for his death. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but wonder if a young Gamaliel is there in the temple. Or maybe already he was achieving his prominence, you know, the, the great rabbis. And they're offended at him because... You know, who, who are you to say these things? Who gave you this authority? Where does it come from? And and it becomes a, a subtext of the entire gospel. How do you know that he has the authority to say and do the things that he does? Well, he tries to show it by all of the miracles that flow from him. Well, here's a miracle by itself. This 12-year-old kid who actually knows the law better inside and out than the famous teachers of the law. Speak a little bit about Jesus as as wisdom incarnate. Yeah, that is one of the, the, the big entrees of in, into the, the Christological controversies. How do you understand the wisdom that you meet in Proverbs and in, 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 in the apocryphal books of wisdom or of uh, Sirach? Understanding Jesus as wisdom is it's saying by the, the Hebrew way, if you will, the same thing that John says by the, the Greek way when he calls him the logos. I always think that perhaps the best way to hear that is to hear him as the logic. He actually is the logic of creation. He, it's, it's his. He holds it all together, and he's the explanation for it all. And apart from him, none of it makes sense. So Jesus is going to open up the very wisdom of God in himself by what he has come to suffer and do. And, and, and I, I didn't put this out here, but I wonder if maybe 
there was a little bit of a catch in Mary's throat when she realized, why are you hanging here in this place of slaughter and sacrifice? It's like, yeah, because that's what he's come to do and to be. And that's the wisdom of God, the wisdom which St. Paul will cry out is against the wisdom of this world. There is the wisdom of the cross, all of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. We'll talk more about that wisdom that Jesus reveals and his interchange with the doctors of the law as we study the hymn within the Father's house with Pastor Will Whedon. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry lcms.org slash deaconess. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. 
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're studying the hymn Within the Father's House. Our guest is Pastor Will Whedon, host of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Folks, LCMS Stewardship has encouraged Lutherans to spend 1% of every day, that's 14 minutes, in God's Word and prayer. We have a way you can start doing that today. Listen to Pastor Will Whedon's daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. It's available anytime, anywhere at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Well, we were talking about that wisdom, and you were discussing the wisdom of the cross. We don't have a transcript of what they were talking about, but what about this young Jesus searching the scriptures where he is talking to these teachers of the law about who the Christ is, where he is found in the law and the prophets, how he will come among his people? I, I think basically, if, if you can can picture it this way, he's opening up Isaiah fifty three to them in a way that you know, no, it's not just Israel guys; it's an it's an actual guy who who comes among us and who will be this servant of Yahweh, and God's going to lay all the sins of the world upon that one man, and 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 everybody else has gone astray, but not him, and he accepts it all, and by his accepting it, by his dying and then rising again. God is going to bring light to the Gentiles and to all the people, people of Israel. It, it, it's, he unpacks for them what the scriptures of the prophets clearly proclaim, and he sees it from the inside as he is himself coming to know and understand his own mission from the Father. Is it kind of a road to Emmaus? Yeah. A little preview of a road to Emmaus? Yes, I don't think it's an accident that it's in both gospels. I mean, it's the same gospel. It's, it's in chapter 2 here, and it's going to be in chapter 24 later this is the jesus who will show the entire scriptures are really all about me and what the father sent me to do for you stanza three yet not to them is given the mighty truth to know to lift the earthly veil which hides incarnate god below What is this stanza saying, Will? Well, here's the reason for the offense. I mean, Jesus is offensive to anyone who thinks of him as just one of us. In fact, in the liberal scholarly world, if they even grant that there was a Jesus, they insist, well, he was really a man like any of us that has been grossly misunderstood. But of course, he really was, and he really was a man but not a man like any one of us. None of us wears a human nature that conceals, as the hymn said, incarnate God below. We're not divine. But this man, fully and completely and really man, is at the same time God in the flesh. That's why St. Paul could say, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, Colossians 2.9. But this mighty truth is something that is slowly revealed through Jesus' ministry. I mean, I think the entirety of the Gospels are designed to give the hearers this encounter along with the disciples. But in the boat with Jesus, right? He's so much a real man that he's worn out from the day of teaching. He's fallen asleep, and he doesn't even seem to be aware of the rising storm all around, right? 
when the disciples finally wake him up in terror that the boat's going to go down and they're all going to die, I think, I may be wrong, but I think they wake him up with the intent of, would you help us bail? You know, you, you, you need to do something here. You just can't be laying there asleep. And what does he do? He turns to the winds and the waves and say, hey, stop it, knock it off. And immediately it's quiet and calm. And I mean, I always picture these men panting after their exertion, you know, and they've got eyes the size of saucers looking at him. It's like, who is this? Who is this? That the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, later when he strolls across the water, who is this who walks on water? Who is this? Over and over again, the big question comes back. And the answer is, it really is God. In that day in the temple when he was teaching, they really didn't get that. There was no way for them to get that yet. It's going to be revealed by his passion and death finally that this is the Son of God. That's why the the centurion cries out at the cross, truly, this is the Son of God. Do we need to be careful, and this, this comes up in the transfiguration as well, with talking about, and I'm not quibbling with the words of this stanza, per se, but to talk about an earthly veil that hides incarnate God below without also saying it is also in his incarnation that the divinity is revealed. Yeah, I mean, this is the way that God himself chooses to do it. He's going to come among us veiling the divinity to reveal the divinity to us in the very flesh that he assumes. I mean, it's when he is able to do the weird things that he does that the disciples begin to put it together and realize, wait a minute, this can't be anybody except for the guy who made it all. He's here with us in the boat. Who who else can make wind and waves just stop at, at his word? And so his very humanity there is both the hiding of the divinity and the revealing of it to them by the actions that that flesh and blood do. Same thing like when he picture him coming out of Nain and and just stop or coming into Nain rather and just stopping the funeral procession and and speaking to the young man and calling him back from death to life. But who can do that? Nobody can do that unless they are the God of life himself. And that's who he is. Here is stanza four. The secret of the Lord escapes each human eye, and faithful pondering hearts await the full epiphany. The secret of the Lord escapes each human eye, and faithful pondering hearts await the full epiphany. We probably should have mentioned this at the outset, but this is an epiphany hymn. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about not only the season, but what that concept means. Well, epiphany is the manifestation. So if you think about epiphany in relation to Christmas, the, the, the joy of Christmas is that God is made man. But the joy of epiphany is all the ways in which that man discloses himself to actually be true God. So you know, certainly the, the the star and the worship of the Magi at the beginning, the week after Epiphany or the Sunday after Epiphany, this is the traditional reading um, where he shows his great brilliance in the temple uh, and it, it, brilliance beyond that of any normal kid, right? I mean, how does he get the law the way that he does and leaves them so astonished? So it is Epiphany, but the, the full Epiphany that's referenced here, of course, 
is is the end of time. But there is a sense in which faithful pondering hearts await the full epiphany. They begin to see it already shining at the cross. It's called the secret of the Lord, the secret of who he is, but above all, the secret of what he came to do, hidden from the people around him. Now, Mary and Joseph certainly remembered the words of the angel. The shepherds, no doubt, remember what they'd heard. But there is a profound sense in which the full revelation simply does not take place until that cross. And even that is both a hiding from the the human eye of divine glory and yet the revelation of that glory in its fullness, the brightest expression of that glory that could ever be seen in this age. So the unveiling is what we, we mean by the full epiphany, That's really not the visit of the Magi. That's the return of Christ in glory as the judge of the living and the dead. Until that day, faithful hearts ponder with Mary, keeping the words of Jesus in mind, and we wait. We're waiting for that moment when, you know, the veil is pulled off and you see that the one on the cross is indeed the one who created all things and sustains them even now, the one who has been ruling all things forever. It kind of puts us in the Old Testament shoes a little bit, because although we have seen the revelation of Christ, as St. Peter says, this bright light that is the prophetic word made more sure, Mm -hmm. we are also waiting. Mm -hmm. There are still faithful hearts pondering the full epiphany. Yes, we very much are waiting. I mean, we we are the Christian church and people by definition. We are the people who are waiting for the unveiling of Christ at the end of time. And uh, we know that it's going to happen because every promise that he made has been fulfilled except for that. And so he's the one who will bring it to completion at the end in his own time, in his own way. And he warned us that he says, I'm coming soon. And yet we also know from his word ah, with the Lord soon is uh, is an interesting thing, right? What we would call soon is not what he calls soon. Uh, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're studying the hymn within the Father's house, and we'll look at stanza five when we return. Lord, visit thou our souls, and teach us by thy grace each dim revealing of thyself with loving awe to trace. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. 
Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Stanza 5 of Within the Father's House. We're studying it with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Take us into this stanza, Will. I think this particular stanza is actually the heart of the entire hymn. The whole of the Gospels spread out before us as they are in the church here. Each one of them is a gift, an opportunity for the Lord to visit, to take up residence within us, as the stories take up residence within us. And our prayer is that the Lord himself teach us, as he was teaching the teachers in the temple that day, that by his grace we may begin to glimpse each dim revealing of thyself. And with loving awe to trace it, it's almost like like a picture is in your hands, say, of Jesus calming the storm. And you take your finger and you lovingly trace in awe the outline of this man who can one minute be sleeping in the stern, worn out from a day of teaching, and the next minute standing and giving orders to winds and waves and having them obey him. Or trace the miracle of Cana, like where he speaks, and suddenly the very best wine is given. Through all these gospel readings, they all move us to awe at this God who would take on flesh, and he takes it on to save us and to give us a share in his own divine love. He loves us so freely in this way that we might give counter love back to him. Is this where we would locate, although it does not mention the Lord's Supper, is this where we would locate the Eucharist? Yeah, I suppose we could we could say that. Um, when we ask him to visit our souls and teach us by his grace, we certainly know that one of those places where he visits us is with the gift of his body and blood in the Holy Supper. And our response to that is always a response of awe and wonder. Awe and wonder above all, not just at his power to do that, but at the love that his doing reveals, that he's actually coming to us in mercy and tender love to remove our sins. Beautiful thing. The fact that he continues to visit us even as we await his final epiphany, Mm -hmm. that he has not left us orphans. He has not left us even as he has removed from his church his visible presence among us. Yeah, I mean, at the end of St. Matthew's Gospel, right, That that's hugely stressed. I am with you always. Lo, I am, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So even as he gives them the great task of going out and preaching the gospel to all nations and bringing the good news to one and all, he's 
proclaiming to them, I'm going to be with you in the whole thing. I will be with you. And you see it in Acts, right? Where he continues to do, he's the one who's doing the miracles through the apostles. He continues with his church to this day, that same way. He, He is with us as our Lord and Savior. Here is the final stanza of Within the Father's House. Till we behold thy face and know as we are known, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost co-equal three in one. Till we behold thy face and know as we are known, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost co-equal three in one. In this stanza, it makes reference to beholding him and beholding his face. Where does that take us? Well, I think it brings us right back to Psalm 27 again, where where the psalmist prayed to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what Jesus, as the prayer of the Psalms, longs for. He longs to see his father's face, and he longs for that day when he gets to show it to us. There is a beautiful prayer the Lutherans adapted from an antiphon originally addressed to Mary, but they used it as a prayer to Jesus. Oh, blessed Jesus, show us the face of your Father after this exile, O clement, O loving, O sweet Jesus Christ. That's what he's promised, that the pure in heart would get to see God. And seeing him, they'll know that as the fulfillment of all joy. And so the hymn sort of sweeps you up into this doxology of the Father. But to know him as we have been known, in Paul's great hymn to love in 1 Corinthians 13, this is to be able to know the love that we have been given from God through his Son in his Spirit and to be able to give that love back to him fully, to know him as he has been known to us. Paul talks about now we know in part or now we see through a mirror darkly And I think sometimes, Will, that is used to promote a minimalist theology where, well, our theology, we don't know if it's right or wrong. We don't know if our theology is right or wrong because, after all, we all see through a mirror darkly. I don't think that's Paul's point. I just think he is trying to say, what we know is sure and certain, but we don't know everything. You started out this show by asking a perfect example of it. Why didn't the Holy Spirit give us more of Jesus' boyhood? You know, there, why is it that we didn't have these stories here? And, and, and Paul's answer is, hey, we know in part. We don't know the whole story, but we do know everything we need to know to be saved. And that we know surely because it's given to us by the Holy Spirit in the sacred scriptures. And when we get to heaven, he may or may not see fit to actually satisfy our curiosity, but we will truly know him. We will know him fully just the way that he knows. He knows you inside and out, right? He knows every thought before it even shows up, before it registers in your head. Every thought, every feeling, he knows them from the inside with you, right? With you and with me. And Paul says, that's how it's going to be with us and him. We're going to be able to know him, know him fully, even though that's going to be, you know, it's an explosive reality, right? You know, how can our finite minds ever come to know him fully? It's like, I think that's why one of the, the most beautiful things the Lutheran confessions teach. It's in the, the larger catechism on the second petition in the Our Father. It's that, that there is daily growth in the kingdom, both here and in the age to come, right? It, it's something that we get to daily grow in this knowledge of him. But we, we have the promise. We will know him fully 
from the inside. It's a beautiful thing. Let's hear the entire hymn within the Father's house. final thoughts on this hymn within the Father's house? Well, Jesus made the Father's temple his home, and that's because that's where the Word of God was being taught and pondered and prayed. And as we know that he lived in the words of God, so he lives in the words, and his Father does too. He made this promise to us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word And the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 14, 23. So then, as the Son found a home in the house of his Father, let us find a home in the words of the Son, words which he brought to us from the Father. John 17, verse 8. I have given them the words you have given me. And all, so that the Father and the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may find a home in us. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he's host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thanks. Thanks so much, Todd. When we return on this Thursday, January the 6th, we'll be going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the comment line, 618-223-8382. Then we'll talk about preaching and hearing the voice of Christ with Dr. John Bombaro. 
He's authored a recent column titled Silencing Self-Voice. That's our two of Issues Etc. next. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E at M-E-L-H-S dot org. J-Krause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org.